St. Paul writes from the epistle, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. It's believed that Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians while in prison in Rome somewhere around the year 62 AD. And during this imprisonment, he also penned Colossians and Philemon. And this is the suffering which he refers to, having lost his freedom in pursuit of the Lord. And I think it's remarkable that Paul, as the prisoner, is the one who is writing words of encouragement to the church, not in prison. Usually it's the other way around. And it's in this context that Paul prays that God would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. I spoke about this in last week's sermon about what the Lord might be calling us to as we walk through various trials and difficulties. It's interesting, our Lord says that if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And yet, we continually pray that God would take away our crosses from us. I'm not criticizing anyone for this. I do it all the time. And there's certainly nothing wrong with asking God to take away our suffering. But I do think it nonetheless serves as perhaps a helpful point of meditation for us. Perhaps what we might be experiencing in our trials might just be one of those crosses appointed for us to carry. And thus our prayers concerning our crosses might shift some. Trials and tribulations are inevitable in the Christian life. There's simply no avoiding it. And a lot has been said about this in the tradition of the church, that is, in trying to give an explanation for trials and for suffering. And before going any further, I just have to say that there's certainly a mystery to it, and I don't think we'll ever, ever fully understand the mystery and the nature, nature of our suffering. Though that's not to say that we don't know anything about it. That's not to say nothing has been taught to us about it in the scriptures. Because the scriptures do give us a few reasons for which we might be suffering. Firstly, and probably the least popular one, is that the Bible teaches, is that, teaches us that sometimes we suffer as a result of our own sin. That is, even though we receive forgiveness from God when we ask for it, the consequences might still remain. If a child disobeys his parents, continuing, for example, to play baseball in the backyard when he's told not to, and ends up breaking the window in the backyard, and let's say he gets some sort of cut in the process, good parents would be quick to forgive the child, but the child still has a wound which needs to heal, and the window is still broken. And the parents might deem it fit for the child in some way, not crushing him, but might deem it fit um, to have the child in some way assist in repairing the window. This is what the church has historically referred to as penance. Even though we are forgiven, God deems it fit for us to suffer the natural consequences of our sin, and also deems it fit to exercise, in some cases, some form of discipline. Maybe that's not the best of examples. I'm sorry if it wasn't. The point that I'm trying to make here is that it's not this caricature of God angrily looking down upon us in heaven, seeking to get some pleasure out of punishing us for our sin. That's not what it is. 
The image is rather the image of a good parent who sees the wisdom in allowing the child to experience some of the results of their sins and or yeah, sees the, um, excuse me, the wisdom allowing the child to experience some of the results of their sin, not for the sake of punishment in itself, but because the parent sees it as a good and helpful part of the child's growth and development. And if this is the source of our trial that we're in, then we are called to bear this suffering willingly, patiently, with faith. The Bible also teaches us that oftentimes God tests us is actually really, really common. This pattern of receiving a gift from God and then being called into a period of testing. So we see this all the way back to the garden with Adam and Eve. They received this remarkable gift, but then they were tested. Abraham received his son, but then when he was, or but then after he was tested by being told to sacrifice him. The whole of the people of Israel were delivered out of slavery but then tested for a period of 40 years in the wilderness. So there's a very clear biblical pattern. Our Lord himself, after receiving his baptism, was sent out into the wilderness to be tested. So there's this pattern that trials are often brought upon us by the Lord as a means of testing our faith to see if it is genuine. Again, here our response is the same. We are called to bear these trials with humility, with patience, and with faith. And finally, oftentimes we suffer simply as a result of being on this path of discipleship to Christ without really knowing why. We can't really make any meaning out of it. Not all of our suffering, it's very clear, not all of our suffering can be attributed to sin, to discipline, or to testing. We could say that on the path of discipleship, we sometimes suffer innocently, that is, for no fault of our own, or perhaps even at the direct cause of another, for no real reason. This is precisely the nature of the suffering of our Lord on the cross. There he suffered innocently, as an innocent victim, for no wrongdoing of his own. And when we suffer innocently, Paul teaches us that we are more closely united to Jesus on the cross. I think the point is that no matter what the source of our trials is, as I mentioned in last week's sermon, I think these trials are calling us to something. They're calling us to a greater faith, which sees suffering not as something which takes us out of God's providence and care, but rather sees sufferings as part of a larger story, as part of the larger outworking of God's plan in our lives. And I think this is, what at, is what's at the heart of Paul's prayer here for the church as he is suffering. As Paul is suffering, he prays not that he would be like them who are free, but he prays that them who are free would have what Paul has even in the midst of his suffering. God prays, or excuse me, Paul prays that God would, um, according to the riches of his glory, that he would strengthen them internally, that Christ would dwell with them, that they would be grounded in love, to know the love of Christ and to be filled with the fullness of God. Paul knows this in the midst of his suffering. He has that with him in prison, and he prays for that for those, for the church who is free outside of prison. So this perhaps is the shift in prayer that I referred to earlier, the shift of prayer in our sufferings that looks like a shift away from the petition to remove sufferings. 
I think perhaps we see this pattern of prayer. I'm reflecting on this, so I might be wrong. It's just something that I've been thinking about. I think there's this pattern of prayer with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in his agony. So the first time he goes out to pray, he begs God, if there's any way possible, let this cup pass from me. But then the second time he goes to pray, he doesn't say that. He says, he prays that if it is only by drinking the cup that it will pass, then so be it. Thy will be done. So even though we have this completely normal initial reaction to have our sufferings, our crosses removed, to immediately run run from our negative circumstances, I think we have to remember what the Incarnation teaches us, that God has entered into the total experience of humanity, all of the good and the worst of the bad, so that even in the worst He is present. So instead then of trying to immediately banish away our negative experiences, perhaps we could shift to a place of being open, a place to being open to receive the crosses that we are appointed to bear. Our prayer shifts then to asking to have the eyes to see God in the midst of what we're experiencing, to experience his presence and to be guided by him as we stumble along with our cross. We pray that God would not waste our sufferings, but rather that God would use our crosses for our own growth and for the good of others. And that as we are more closely united to Christ and his suffering, God would grant that we may have all the strength to comprehend with the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.